All my monsters are well in the neighborhood. They lie on the table and ready to receive. Open my eyes, it's a shock to the system. The doctors who listen don't cure my disease. Hello and welcome to another session of Jen and Her Jammies with me, Marvin Schneider, and the ever-thoughtful Jen Ward. We've got Darshian and Gunter. How are you all? Hi, Marvin. Hi, everybody. You guys say hi. <laughs> Wonderful. What's happening in Jen land? Well, you know what today is. Today is the anniversary of my escape. And so it's a big deal. It's like, um, I think of it as a portal for my portal for freedom and stuff and so yeah because you often talk about special days special anniversaries as being portals so birthdays those kinds mm -hmm. of things um i had my birthday recently and you were suggesting that we do uh you know get some of your goddesses together and do a whole bunch of tapping i was just too mm -hmm. exhausted to do that but last time on your birthday we did a serious amount of work for the upliftment of humanity and that was a big impact. Do you remember what we did it on? Um, remind so me. So we did it on to help um, the coronavirus and then right after that that's when all these ping 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 that's right. vaccines came out to to that's yeah. right that's right and it was um also a day of significant transition in American politics, yep. as I recall. Yeah. But so, so the reason it's a portal is like, think about it. Um, on that day, there is an energy being that's all omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and then they incarnate into this physical realm. So it's like, it's like um, using the portal of that experience to to open them back up into their omnipotence and to um, kind of like piggyback yeah. that whole process, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So um, you've stolen my thunder a little bit. Thank you for doing oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I got to tell people, I got to tell people about um, what happens when, when we prepare for these, these um, podcasts, right? So, it's so funny. It's like, you'll coach me and you'll say, Jen, what's the purpose of doing this? We're not just going to talk. We're going to have a purpose. What's it leading people to? And then I give you the points and you're saying, good, that'll help people. Good. That's great. What's the next one? Good. And you outline them, right? And and then you coach me on how to like put them together and, and run through them and everything. And then we go to recording and then I come up with totally different facts and you're just like, <laughs> I'm just left floundering. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see, the funny thing is that the conversations that lead up to us deciding to do a podcast episode on a particular topic is quite often more dynamic and entertaining than the actual recorded session. <laughs> and then so someone asks, well, why don't you just record it, you know, ad lib, you know, whatever. But the problem is that generally it's you know, in my sort of midnight and sort of very early in the morning and I'm in yeah. my jammies because I don't want to get dressed, yeah. you know, as I'm sort of waking from my sleep state. I think it would be funny to 
because I think like you you and I are the same we don't want to watch ourselves I can't watch myself but when I watch it no no when I watch it with you it's hysterical it's hysterical and the last time we did that it was so funny because you you think I think I'm making this really odd on target point and you you got this look like where the freak is she going i'm trying to like grasp where i'm going and then when you are talking and you're like i'm so excited about being on point you see my eyes drift off like oh my gosh i'm gonna like fall asleep it's so funny sleep it is funny and um sometimes we actually do watch the episodes together so in real time um, we just share screens on um, zoom or you know whatever platform we're using on the day and um, so that's quite entertaining. We get to see each other's reaction and so I on. think that would be a funny um, um, Facebook Live thing to do is watch us watch the thing in the commentary box. Oh, wow. Um, so in Australia, we have a thing called Gogglebox. Do you have No, Gogglebox? we do not. Okay, so it's a reality TV show. And the entire premise of the show is recording people that are watching tv and reacting to it and it is hysterical it's hilarious and it's got a really big following so you know ordinarily you'd think well that would be a pretty boring reality tv um, premise but it's got a huge following here so yes it would be funny to actually do a live stream on facebook maybe even youtube Mm -hmm. of you and me watching it and just bantering as we're laughing at each other and just (laughs) saying how ridiculous it is and Things like that. And we can hashtag Gogglebox. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get more followers. We know these podcasts are getting out there because we're getting good comments. Um, but it would be, I'm looking forward to the day where this podcast series becomes mainstream and we've got serious number of subscribers and followers and interactors like, you know, half a million plus. The benchmark for really successful YouTube um, series channels, I guess, is uh, about a million. Apparently, you'll get you get a plaque if you hit a million subscribers. Oh so there you go. It's something to work to work. Gunter, can you can you manifest that? He's, for us, he's working in his poor Gunter is like stressed out of his mind. We were watching. Um, I found out that like they like to watch TV and um, Darshan and and little Jen will be watching the shows and they'll be like enjoying it, you know, American Idol or the trashiest reality shows. And Gunter will just be like pensive and he's just tolerating it just to appease little Jen and and me. But it's like, he's working overtime. Well, and if the listener hasn't worked out, uh, worked out this little fun fact, then Gunter's characteristic and my characteristics are quite similar. Yeah, so um, I was wearing this necklace, and it was like, and it was feeling really, really heavy on me. So, so I took it off, but Gunter had one just like it. And so once I took mm-hmm. that off, I was wondering, you know, why was it feeling so heavy on me? And so I, I go in there and I see Gunter wants his off. So I took Gunter's off, and he was so relieved. And apparently Gunter was just tolerating wearing that to appease me and he really didn't like wearing it at all so he feels so much better to get that (laughs) necklace off he feels more like himself and it's amazing how i how free i feel because i took it off of him yep so as we're recording today it is the first of april in the southern 
in the Eastern Hemisphere, so in Australia, so it's not quite your 1st of April, but 1st of April for a lot of people marks April Fool's Day, but for you it marks Escape Day mm -hmm. uh, from the scenario where you were effectively imprisoned, starved and tortured. And so what we thought we would do as part of this portal, and because this is a healing portal opportunity, is to uh, get you to talk about that experience in some kind of a chronological order. And then once we've done that, um, we want to start having a bit of a conversation about the so what. Why are you telling the story? Why do people need to know about it? What can they learn from it? And so the purpose of telling the story is not to be gratuitous in any way and, you know, you know, woe is me, that kind of stuff. It's not about that at all. It's about creating a reference point and then... Um, you know, this, the, the, there is there is actually a purpose to telling the story, and I should say that um, Jen, you've told me this story, you know, on a number of occasions from various angles, little bits and pieces, so snippets here and there. But I've never actually heard the story in a largely chronological order. So as you tell the story from time to time, I might interrupt, and if you'll allow me to interrupt, and just. I might just see if you can just sort of help the listeners sort of fill in some gaps if I'm sensing a gap because I'm going to be listening to this story from the perspective of a listener who's never heard heard it before. Is yes, okay? and the thing is, I don't think I've been able to tell the story chronologically. I was defending the, yep. the captor. I was defending the whole process, and I felt unsafe. Yep. This is a, this is actually a huge freeing thing for me. And the adepts would tell me another yep. reason for telling the story, which is really, really about the listener. And so I've been lucky enough to have all this trauma in one lifetime, right? So because yep. I've had all this trauma in one lifetime, I can I know where my triggers are from this one lifetime. Like to this day yep. I can't take showers because there was trauma around there was there was trauma around showers. If I didn't get out of the shower in five minutes, he would be mean and, and do things to me or withhold my food. Or um, he yeah. would like keep me up all night to fix the vacuum cleaner. We went through three vacuum cleaners and he blamed me. So to this day, I can't use vacuums and I can't shower. And all these triggers, I know yeah. where these triggers come from. But so the yeah. listener out there has to know that when they have an aversion to something, don't be so hard yeah. on yourself. Why? Like, why you don't want to go to that job? Why you don't want to do this? Why you don't want to get married? Why you don't want to do this? You have a reason. It's just that your triggers happened yeah. in a past lifetime, maybe, and you're not making the direct okay. correlation. So it's a good way for right. people to be easier on themselves. Good. Um, you're uh, starting to go to the end goal before we get to the uh, beginning of the race. Sorry, I'm not <laughs> trying to steal your thunder. You no, that's okay. So, but that's a good, uh, it's a good entry point to basically make the point again that the reason you're telling the story is not to be gratuitous in any way. There is a purpose. So you gave, you're giving a bit of a clue as to one aspect of the purpose, but we'll, we'll cycle back on that as well. All right. We're not going to name names. So we're going to describe him and he and know that him and he in this conversation is a, the captor. And um, so why don't we take it from there? You had a, you, you knew this person from some time back. Okay. So can we just start there? So the thing is, part of the reason I wouldn't tell the story is I was protecting the group where I met him. Because I met him, and it's only right. been... And, and sorry, just, just so that we're clear about this, this is this spiritual group um, that you were right. part of. And I, I would um, that... never name it as a cult, but 
So I was too protective yeah. of the group and all the people in it. Yeah. So I didn't want to disrespect them by by yeah. outing them. But it's part of the story and and why should I it's like protecting anything from from there is almost like invalidating myself. So it's just yes. facts. Okay. So you knew this person from the group no. and uh, as far as you could tell, he was quite spiritually no. aware. That's what you thought. No, no. Um, sorry. So I didn't know him. What happened was um, I met him at a, at a seminar or a, a retreat. And it was the yep. first year, it was after I had become a massage therapist and I had pulled myself out of uh, a shitty life and I had a little bit of um, self-esteem through knowing I did you know could help people with energy work and I had a little massage therapy um, room in my home and I was getting validated and helping people so I had a little bit of self-esteem in that way so I went to this okay. um, retreat and there he was a friend of a friend and um, right. they were both good looking men younger than me. And the very fact that they were spending time with me, they had to give me a ride to, to the temple because I was a friend of the family or whatever. And I remember when, when he told he's a, the, my friend was like this really good looking guy. And I remember when we went in the elevator and we met up with this guy and he goes, we're going to take Jen with us to, to the the place the spiritual place and they had this knowing look in there i hate this and people might know this knowing look it was like they said in their eye like well she's not our type of people but you know we're just going to help her out and there was like this this like there was this knowing between them that i was pathetic and they were just you know doing doing humanity or doing a service because they were so benevolent people being around me right so we went out to lunch okay. before we went to the thing and I was telling them some of my experiences and doing energy work. And when I had seen I had seen this guy um, around and when I saw his energy, it was really distorted like his aura. It wasn't pure yeah. and clear. It was like there were disjointed parts in it. And um, I didn't I didn't know what I was really able to do. But because I told the stories about like the adepts, which are still real to me um, and helped me the adepts and how they came into my massage room and taught me how to do healing and, and my experiences with the yep. adepts. And after I got mugged, they would walk with me when I was walking my dogs at night and reassure me. Yep. So I was sharing my experiences with the adepts and that's what attracted this guy to me because he was really looking for the truth and, um, Right. Okay. So he was a spiritual seeker. Let's put it that yes. way. Would you agree with that? Okay, good. So, and just to speed up the story a little bit, otherwise we're not going to get through okay. the story. Um, okay. So you met him through this spiritual group. Um, <clears throat> kind of what, what happened? Okay. Then? So we went to the, the spiritual center and um, we were alone in the grounds and I showed him what I could do. And I, I, I put my hand on his heart and I started to release for him. And he was so mm -hmm. loving and, you know, I've been love starved, afraid of men my whole lifetime and stuff. 
and he put his arm around me to protect me as I was helping him. And something about mm -hmm. that whole process is like, that's all it takes for someone who's so pathetically love-starved, is that little mm -hmm. instant of kindness. And I told him something about his work. It's like all these energies around you, they're just watching you. And, and I didn't realize he was so paranoid and so um, hypersensitive mm -hmm. and stuff. And he was just being eaten alive by these energies around him. So I had yeah. cut, gave him a little bit of relief from that. And he, he benefited from that and he wanted more of that. Okay, so he clearly um, valued what you did and understood what you did and wanted more of it. So um, how did you then um, come to live with him in that okay. sense? So what happened was when I was home out of the blue, he called me and he actually, um, he said, he asked Rebizar, Rebizar is the adept that I work with. He says he asked Rebizar if he yep. should call me or not. And Rebizar said yes. So after right. he called me, then it it just snowballed where he, he bought me a cell phone and he, he called me all the time. And when he was at work, he actually had me on the phone with him to protect him. So it was around the clock protection for him. He would let me use right. his credit card and like buy things on his credit card and and um, send yeah. me send me a box of of high quality meat and everything for me and my dogs and it just got really um dysfunctional right away those boundaries um understanding that i i was living hand to mouth for most of my life and so that had felt like being taken care of on, on such a deep level if that makes sense okay good so he was um he was using you as your energy protector in some sense, because I think you said you had a bit of a sense that he was a little bit sort of paranoid about, you know, entities and others that are watching him, this kind of well, stuff. Well, the thing is, is he, he used to ascribe to all the conspiracy theories way back then, all the space people, all the right. Pleiadians, all that. So he tapped into all of that and it made him really paranoid because yep. you can, you can yep. use your mind energy and you can create and manifest anything you want. So he was like yep. really hypersensitive and he saw these spaceships outside of his house and hovering in the, in the atmosphere. And, and at one point, um, I was so attuned to him and I was so love-starved. I wanted to help him. I could feel these surreal experiences of him, like having, alien ex abduction experiences and stuff and i don't i don't really think they were real now but in the moment they were real and they were real to him so it didn't even matter yeah. if they really happened to him they were and i validated yeah. them and i actually helped him take implants out of his energy and i don't know what i was doing i've never done that before i've never even thought about that kind of stuff but he got relief when i did that and so that was enough and he got more and more empowered and he wanted me to keep empowering him. And since I was so love starved, I, I got misconstrued that this was a relationship in a way. And it wasn't, yeah. but to me, like not having any love in my life, having this was like better than, you know, it was no, yeah. I had no reference points for what it was. 
Okay. And so it's interesting. You have told me in the past that this person bought into pretty much every conspiracy theory on the planet and felt that conspiracy theory deeply. It was very real to him. Maybe at some point we might do a podcast on conspiracy theories and how you might, as a aware person, think about it and um, uh, navigate around that, but not for now. So at one point, so at some point then in the story, and I, again, I'm going to have to get you to fast forward if you wouldn't mind, you found yourself at a, at a property, yes. a, a number of acres, I'm guessing, hectares. 13 acres. So the thing is, is I helped him. Okay. He lost a job and he got another job in a big company, which we won't name because that will. And he moved yeah, to a state fine. that was closer to me, but it was a different state. And I helped him find the property and it felt like it was, it felt like it was um, being executed or he was being um, drawn there by, he called it the Illuminati, but I think it's more like the Elohim from, from whatever his reference stories were. And um, so, mm -hmm. so he got there first and he was waiting for me to get there. And when I got there, finally, he wanted to just take care of me. That was the whole point. I wasn't thinking about career or the future. Neither was he. It was so weird and it was so surreal. Right. So um, he came and got me and he didn't like one of my dogs. So one of my dogs that I had from a puppy, I had a gift at Lollipop Farm, which is the shelter. And I didn't feel anything. And he thought that dog was evil. And he thought that the other dog, he didn't tell me until we got in the car and we got away from my apartment and we said all this emotion. He started to turn almost immediately into being more controlling. And so he right. started to tell me when we were in the car that, that my dog was one of his bodies. Because when I told him things about spiritual things I had read, he ran with them. And there was this spiritual um, person from the past, Padre Pia, and he was known to have operated more than one body at once. And so right. he felt he had disability, and he felt that my dog was one of his other bodies. So right. when we got to the property, he wouldn't let me love my dog. And he, when we got to the property, he got really mean to me and um, accused me of stealing his energy. And and then he started to talk to beings that weren't the adepts, like I tune into like the higher adepts. And he thought he was tapping into that energy of, of source, but it was always about me as how, how evil I was and how awful I was. And when we got to the property, overlooking the, the trees, all the squirrels were dancing in the trees. And it it was it was really amazing because it really was happening. All the squirrels were dancing in the trees. They were just like bouncing around as if they were celebrating me being there. It's like something special was happening because I was being there. And he was disturbed because the squirrels really liked me. So it bothered him that the squirrels really liked me. And then if there was anything on the property that like, as, as soon as we got there, 
I became sensory deprived. I couldn't talk to anyone. I couldn't use my computer. I couldn't use the newspapers. And he even could tell, because he was psychically attuned, if I was thinking. And if I, I started thinking thoughts, he would come into the room and yell at me and call it eating shit. So I wasn't allowed to think even. And so... Okay. So, so there's a significant element of control yeah. that is occurring almost immediately of you arriving at the property. But there were surreal things happening too. Like the neighbors, the neighbors weren't around at all until there was this weird thing that happened, this huge snake. It was like, I swear it was like 30 feet long. It was huge. And we found it in the house and I was freaking out. And there were no neighbors. We didn't see anybody on the street, nobody. And there was this huge snake in the house and he was acting like it didn't happen. And he was acting like it wasn't there. He goes, just leave it alone and it'll disappear. Well, it disappeared. And then I went to my bedroom because I had the master bedroom with the master little bed bathroom. And that huge snake was in my little bathroom. So he went into the bathroom and it, was, it raised its haunches and got on its, like a, like a cobra would and came and I raised itself to him and it scared him. So he finally called the landlord to get rid of it. So after that, uh, um, after that, then the neighbors came out and out of the blue, they were at the fence and they started talking to him. And they said, have you seen any snakes lately? So they seemed to know what was going on and it was like surreal. So it seemed like they were the Elohim on some level. And so, um, yeah. so he started like, not liking me around. So he kept me working outside. I knew energetically I was supposed to work. I knew that. I knew I was there for a reason because at some level before we went there, I said, I'm going as, as, um, as Gandalf the gray and I'm coming back as Gandalf the white. I don't even know what that meant, but the process is something inwardly told me to work until I cleaned up clean out the land and stuff so I worked and so I worked harder and harder and he made me do more and more stuff and to the point where I didn't have a choice and if I sat down and stopped working because it was 100 degrees the neighbor would come over and and, and talk to him and tell him how lazy I was and he'd prompt him to like, make me work more he goes no you got to keep working you got to like burn this and it burn and it just you got to sweat and get things out and this neighbor was saying this he never talked to me but he would say that just to prompt him to work me more so he started using the neighbor to go to for advice and stuff and the neighbor would teach him how to do stuff and um and so it became more and more oppressive to me and at one point i wanted to leave i said this is ridiculous i wanted to leave and there was no reason for me to be there. And then when I had made that decision to actually leave when I still could, then the neighbors came out, the, the woman, the, the mother of that person, and they came over and invited us over to use the pool every day and to have picnics with them. And they were hell bent on keeping me there. And they wanted me there. And then he knew that they wanted me there. It was really surreal. Yeah. 
Um, the you've told this part of the story to me at least a number of times, and I've never really understood the role of the neighbours and the freaky aspects of that. And it's possibly not. We probably don't have time to explore well, that topic today, even if you knew what it was. Then but, he, we, yeah. he he thought they were the adepts personified, the adepts, the spiritual guys. Right. He was at the decision that that group that we were in was a farce. Yep. And, and right. um, but the, the adepts are real. So, and they just used, that group used the adepts to um, whatever. But he yep. thought he had a, he actually would go down in the in the hot tub in the basement where I finally had to, where he put me in the basement. And he would lay in the hot tub and wait for the mothership to beam him up. He really thought they were going to beam him up. Yeah. All right. It's um, yeah, it's it's actually quite difficult listening to this story again. I'm sorry. I don't um, mean to make it difficult. No, that's. <laughs> so, okay, we might, because we're at almost thirty minutes already, we might um, see if we can fast forward. Can I ask this question though? Were you ever? You quite often describe this experience as. as having been imprisoned, starved and tortured. Yeah. So the torture aspect is being sort of, you know, worked to the bone on, on the property, I'm guessing, amongst other things. Um, you were clearly food deprived and, um, you know, lost a lot of weight. Were you physically imprisoned? Were you locked up or did you just feel that you couldn't leave? Um, good question because good question because I um I knew that question was coming because there was a ritual every morning to take me around the property and to um he had me do bad things to animals the squirrels because the squirrels liked me so he had me do bad things to so every morning we had to put out the squirrel traps and so um and I had to like follow like 30 feet behind him and if I looked at him he would he'd knock me down and and um, hurt me and overpowered me if I didn't listen to him. But it was mostly berating me and telling me how disgusting I was and how the adepts wanted me dead. And I was the, I was the reason there was so much evil in the world and the fat on my body represented the evil in the world. And that's why I had to starve it off. And um, what was the question again? Were you physically... Okay, so restrained so, um i wasn't until the point that i was and what happened was i was too weak for first thing i didn't have any i didn't have much independence in the beginning to be dependent enough to travel with and a thing is my dog i wouldn't be able to take my dog so i tried to i tried to think of how i could leave and bring shamas with them and at the end Basically, what happened at the end was that the dog, I was like eating the dog food to stay alive, and the dog knew what was happening to me. So the dog would just, when I would take some of his food, it's almost like he left some for me. And he would just do a heavy sigh, and he was like compassionate to me. And one day when I was getting really, really weak, the dog ran away. The dog ran up way up the 
thing and went way up to the neighbors. You can see him going around to the to the road and up around to the neighbors that was up on the hill and he ran to the neighbors and it was really freaky that he did that and I didn't understand what he was doing and and the the captain just thought he was possessed by my energy. But what was happening is the dog knew I was going to die. And the dog was going to get help from the neighbor. And I didn't know that until much later. The trees told me. And so so when it was time for me, before I left, the, the adults were working with me inwardly. I thought I was going to die there. There was a mass grave on the property where he would put the bodies of the squirrels. And he made me lay in it at night and say, check it out, feel it out. This is where you're going to be for eternity. And so, so I was going to die there. And, but the adepts were making me ready. Every morning he would come in and he was tired of the experiences as well, the captor. So he would make me confess my dreams. And like, I would try to give him something hopeful. Like I'm going to die soon. Yeah. Or uh, it's going to be over soon, and over soon meant me dying. So he was trying to get me to help myself die. But what I didn't understand was he wanted me to destroy my own soul. It wasn't a matter of just being physically dead. They didn't want me to exist anymore. And so it took my cooperation yep. to do that. But at the end, and, and but, but close to the end, close to near April, the adepts would come to me in a dream state and they would show me a place where there were people and they were nice to me. And it was actually my apartment that I would be moving to. And I wasn't able to love my dog because he says, you're trying to like love me through this dog and he wouldn't let me. And so in the dream state, they, there was another dog and the dog was uh, my dog Seema who I had later um so Seema would come to me in the dream state and keep me alive and what i've realized from now is that me and Seema in these last few years would go back to me in the property and support me and encourage me and keep me alive so that was that okay all right and i can obviously tell it's a oh, difficult it's okay. to tell it's, the story it feels good to get it out because there's there's an important thing to tell. Like I wasn't allowed to love yeah. anything. I wasn't allowed to love anything. Everything was evil and I was evil and nothing wanted me. But there's such a desperate need to love that at one point when I went to shower, I had a couple of um, pillowcases in my closet and I grabbed them without him knowing it. And I took the pillowcases downstairs in the basement where he kept me. And one of them I used to carry all my tools because I had to work all day long. My water bottle, my my axe and my saw and my um, vine clippers. And that was like huge. So I know how important the tools are because that, that one pillowcase was so important and it was so valuable. I learned the value of things through that. And the other thing was, I was so desperate to love something that I scrunched up that other pillowcase in the form of a little inanimate thing to love, and I called it Doggy Dog. When I was a little girl, I had this 
little blanket and I called it doggy dog because it smelled like urine because I used to pee myself. <laughs> so, but, so I wrapped this little pillowcase up like doggy dog and I would pour love into that pillowcase because that's how important it is to love. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we might leave the story there if that's okay. <laughs> and, um, but the important conclusion to the story is that uh, on the 1st of April, um, 13 years ago, you did manage and succeed in escaping and your post-property um, journey started from there. Are you okay, man? I'm just going to... Oh, it's... I don't like hearing the story. I'm sorry. But... I'm okay. sorry, but you know, it helped me. You know how strong I am, and it's okay. I'm sorry. Okay, so we're getting that's that's okay. We're getting to the other part where we're we're now going to talk about the relevance of the experience. Um, so the, there's a, a couple of things that you've told me in the past that <clears throat> make that story um, important. Yeah for you and for other people to know. And, and one of them is that your experience creates a reference point for uh, a lot of the pain and suffering and other things that people are feeling and that therefore gives you an ability to have a reference point and to assist other people. Because, uh, you know, imagine what it would be like going to a healer, healing traumas of various types where that the healer has no reference point or understanding as to you know what the client is going through so you have that, that that's why um when i came back i tried to do therapy and as soon as i went to therapy it was like this this dude uh, it's the first time i saw some literally fall off their chair because he had no reference point for this it was just starting out and i was like i can't do this to this yep. dude he has he's not equipped to help me and it's like so it just makes you feel more isolated and alone. And that's that's how I came to be on social media because when I came back, I had no way of healing myself. I actually wanted to go back on the property and finish the job. I wanted to die. And so so the only the only um comfort I had was going on Twitter and back then you could talk and communicate and it was it was more pure and I would put out these tweets of upliftment and sending out love to everybody and it was a form of healing for myself. And for um, the broader collective, I can yeah. imagine. So the fact that you've had this experience and have a reference point for um, pain, suffering, means that the work that you do is very powerful in helping other people um, relieve or provide relief for theirs without them having to experience it because that's what you do when you're doing the taps. So um, so that's really important for people to know, I think, is that um, the work that you're doing has, you, you've been to university and it's been the University of Hard Knocks and so you have that reference point. The other thing that um, 
um, and, and you've spoken about, you know, despite the very challenging experience that you have, nevertheless or possibly because of it, you have this enormous capacity for mm-hmm. love and you can pour love into anything, anyone, but particularly anything. Um, and that's really important as well because the work that you're doing in uplifting humanity is, I'm guessing, um, a exercise in unconditional love. Which was really interesting because at the time this was happening, I, I was a massage therapist with a little energy work. I didn't have any books. I didn't have, I was treated like a nobody. So it was amazing to me why, why me? Why was I chosen to be treated so like, like I was a threat? And it was interesting to actually, that's validating for what I do is like, oh, I am a threat because yeah, I'm going to actually help people where other people say that they're just helping people. They don't have their reference point. And as far as the neighbors and and their role in it was, is yeah. um, they stopped coming around once I went through the process of enlightenment. So that was like what enlightenment was. It was a real surreal thing where he kept telling me I was Satan, I was evil, I was everything he could think of. And I was having the inner inner imagery to to support that and I saw all these horrific abuses of power and I saw them in my internal worlds and so when I went through enlightenment it it pushed me closer and closer to be in that until I woke up and that was all gone that the the cave where all this horrific thing was happening like these beasts raping these princesses and all this crappy stuff it all dried up and the cave was empty and the sunlight was shining through this cave. And when I went out the cave, I saw I saw these beautiful images of the um the um the seasons changing and they were so beautiful and magical. And then I looked to the side and I saw these planets being birthed. And when when people send out pure intentions, it's creating the most beautiful planets. And I saw that that's what we do, is we create these beautiful planets with our intentions. So that was opening up, not just for me, but for other people through what I had gone through. Yes, there's two other points that I'd like to make in drawing the relevance to the story. One is the realization that while the experience that you had is unique. A lot of people have very similar, difficult, mm-hmm. traumatic experiences. And one of the, the things that I've noticed is uh, prior to meeting you seven months ago, actually it's nearly close to mm-hmm. eight months, um, I, I've i sort of followed and sort of kept in touch various sort of spiritual people. And the interesting thing is that at least three, four or five of those people have had very difficult prior experiences. And so it seems to be, you know, those that are very hyper perceptive and aware in a spiritual sense, they seem to have had a very difficult experience leading up to that. So I'm not sure if there's a correlation or whether it's formula for um, enlightenment to have this experience. I think you think it, it is. It is formula. I, I, I'm almost, 
Yeah, it's formula, but it doesn't need to be because the more of us who go through that, okay. we're like breaking the resistance Good. so others don't Good. have to. So that's the thing is like, uh, it's breaking through. Oh, I lost it. No. So let me pick it up for you if I can, if you don't mind, is the fact that you've gone through this experience and enlightenment, you know, as part of that experience and the fact that a number of others had, you know, similar but different experiences. I think what you're saying is that um, because a number of people's souls have had that experience become enlightened, you know, quite recently, it's making it easier for others to become enlightened. And so, you know, the vast masses don't need to have the experience you've had. In fact, you, you're kind of carrying that experience for uh, a, a lot of people. And if you think of it like, not, not that this is a comparison, but I think basically that's what like Jesus and other um, avatars have okay. done is they've taken this dense karma right. and passed it through their beingness. But the more that you yep. understand an energy, that you don't pass it through your physical body, you pass it through your energy field. And the, tr the key to making it painless as possible is you make your energy field as big as possible. Make it as big as the galaxy, bigger. And then when things pass through, it's just a little, okay, that was that. And it's not landing in your physical atoms and you're identifying with it. That's when dis-ease comes in, is when you identify it with and then when you make it your story, my pain, my backache, my tragedy. No, this is the human condition. Yes, and we've we've said in previous podcast episodes that you never refer to to issues as being yours, so you're not attaching yourself to it. It is uh, you, you refer to it almost in the third person, <laughs> the family, the mother, the why exactly. you know the psychopath yes. and the other thing is is that that's the thing that seems to separate us from the collective is that story it's like oh poor me when you put yourself in the victim and say nobody could understand me because oh i went through this and yep. they can't identify well you know what yep. that story itself is the commonality yeah that's what well it's validating basically it's validating other people's experiences well, yeah. and so when you're having a session with other people you are validating their experience but not you're not only just validating it you're, you're then dealing let me with make it. this point Myron. so what it does is it, people use their story to separate them from the collective when they should yeah. be doing the opposite they should be um yeah. Uh, connected more to their tribes to the people to the collective through it and because of social media the gift of social media as nasty and as contaminated it's gotten it's given us the ability to compare notes and we can see what the human condition is really like and oh by the way we're yeah. more normal than we thought exactly do we want to in closing tell the story uh the experience that i had when i was working with you when i was doing a series of taps one of which was laying down the sword and shield ah uh, if you let me tell what the ramifications of that was okay yeah, yeah. okay so i was working with jen uh, quite a while back and um one of the taps that jen does which i resonate with a lot 
was, you know, a tap around, you know, we lay down our sword and shield. And, you know, you can lay down your sword and shield in relation to any particular issue. Uh, at that point, we were um, sort of dealing with the imbalance between male and female energy. And so we we're laying down, you know, the sword and shield of, you know, male dominance. And the visualization that I had was um, huge armies, a million men it, you know, on each side facing each other, you know, in these sort of historical sword and shield battles, all of them laying down their sword and shield. So two million men on a battlefield, all of them laying down their sword and shield and bowing. And their horses too, you said. And, it, and their horses. And the thing is, every time I think about this, it just, I get overwhelmed just with the ramifications of all of the lower worlds basically laying down their sword and shield in that moment. And, and you know what? Take it from you there. You know what you did? Is that? You know what you did? I told you. And I didn't realize the ramifications till recently. You, in, in that moment, in our purity and our intentions, we thwarted World War Three. And so that's why yeah. there's not more war happening. That's what you did in being receptive to what I do, which is not your nature probably to do that. Yeah. Anyway, that was um. That, that's uh, let's just say that was a huge. Moment. It was a huge moment for humanity, and I hope that most pe more people understand the sacrifices that we do. Not you and I, but anyone who does this work, who does the tasks as a surrogate for humanity, who shares what's possible. Um. When, so all through these years, for the last, I've been back what twelve, thirteen years. I've been asking. 13, I okay. think we count. So I've yeah. been asking people, please share my pages, please share what I do. And they've all been like, they, they get repulsed by me like, oh, she just wants attention or she wants to be famous. No, no. It's because I knew the adepts were feeding me this truth and it was counterbalancing the bombardment of lies and deceit and negativity that's put out there by the false conspiracy theories and the negative um intentions so that was the balance and and now the algorithms are such where one of my posts could have reached thirty nine thousand, like five years ago now i'm lucky if it reaches five people so and yep. and we see now people are open to like doing my tasks and how it helps them and if only those who felt it like five six years ago would have shared more it, it maybe would have yep done more good so okay so <clears throat> perhaps what we might do is draw this episode to a close um uh, around the portal of your escape and the importance of it um thank you for sharing your story thank you darshan thank you gunter thank you listeners thank you thanks please share like comment uh look forward to catching and you next thank time thank you for validating me and it's healing to just be heard because so much of this life was about yep. not being heard. So thank you for the healing you do to me. And thank you for the listeners for listening, sharing and taking on. Thank you all. Thank Bye you. for now.
patience and time Thinking about what good things gonna miss If you know Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, please. 